Welcome to Triumph and Disaster, a show dedicated to manly creativity and culture. Brought to you by your host, Cameron McHarg. Hey guys, it's Cameron, back for another little Triumph and Disaster deal here. Um, I want to start out, uh, first of all, I have a Patreon account. I mentioned it, I think, in the last podcast, and it's up on, uh, you'll see it on the last blog or two, if you go to triumphanddisasterblog.com. I mentioned it. I don't have a, an intro video up yet, nothing like that, but if it's um, if you go to patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash triumphanddisaster, all spelled out, you'll see what it is. And uh, it's just a way to support the podcast. I pretty much, I do all this, um, I do all this on my own dime and my own time, and uh, I don't have uh, sponsors or anything like that. I would actually like to do more shows more often, but part of the reason why is because it does take some time and effort and a little bit of money. And, um, you know, so I'm trying to, to make a cool show for, for you guys with cool guests and something of value for you. So what you can do if you'd like is you can go there to patreon.com forward slash triumph and disaster. And I'll have a link on the blog too. Uh, if you go to a triumph and disaster blog.com under the, um, this week or the last couple of weeks. And you just have a couple of options. You can uh, be a patron for either like 5 or $10 a month. And um, I'll call you out to thank you like I'm going to do with these folks right here in a second. And then if you do the $10 a month uh, patronage, I'll send you a t-shirt, a really cool Triumph and Disaster t-shirt. I don't know if you've seen those or not, but I have them, uh, I have them in the store at the, uh, the Facebook page for Triumph and Disaster. And uh, I think uh, also on the Instagram, so you can check that out. And usually on every, every blog post, I have a, a button for the store, so you can check it out there too. Yeah, so anyway, it's just a way to support it and um, and keep this thing going and, and, and a way for me to, to do this a little more often for you. So anyway, I would like to thank Kelly McCormick, Attila Killeray. Oh my God. You know what, Attila? You're probably listening to this and you're probably really offended. I just jacked it up. I know you have a name that, I don't know how to pronounce this name, So it's it, but it's K-R-K-I-R-A-L-Y. So Killeray? Killeray. Killeray. God damn. Wow, did I have a stroke? Attila Curley. Here you go. Well, you've been very called out, Attila. That's a badass name, by the way. You can't go wrong with that name. Anyway, uh, also Ben Colomer and uh, Belinda Rocha, Daniel Friedman, and Tyler Hymanson. So thank you, guys. Thank you so much for getting this thing started. And, and I rolled it out you know, kind of unofficially. Like I said, I don't have an intro video or anything like that. And I already have you, you guys uh, supporting this, so I really appreciate it a lot. And um yeah, if you do the $10 one, I'll send you out the cool t-shirt. Just make sure to give me your address. So, now that I got that stuff covered, uh, I have this week I have Robin Petgrave. Th- there's so much about this guy that I can't even, I don't even know really where to start. I um I did this, uh, I acted in this music video for uh, Columbia Tatone. She's a, she's a really talented director and photographer. And uh, she did a music video for Pop Evil called Colors Bleed. I'll put that on the blog too, triumphantdisasterblog.com. Go to the Robert, the uh, Robin Petgrave episode and I'll put that up so you can see it. It's pretty badass actually. And um, I'm like the bad guy in this thing. You don't even see my face till the end, but it's, it's super cool. And Robin actually flew the helicopter in this thing. So it was, uh, it was shot at this, um, this airport in Compton and uh, it's a museum. I've never heard of it or seen it until I got there, but it's called Tomorrow's Aeronautical Museum. So the website is tammuseum.org. And he'll talk. He'll talk about it in the, in the talk here. But um, yeah, it, it, you walk in there, and it, it's 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 so many things. There's like this plane in the front that's turned into like a, a food truck, first of all. And you walk in, and, and it's it's a museum for African American pilots. There's so much in there that I mean, if you haven't heard of the Tuskegee Airmen, for example, you, you need to find out who they are. There's a lot about them, and a lot of other things, a lot of other people, and other just a lot of history that I had no idea. And he has like this huge row of like um, fighter plane, like F-16 simulators, this crazy astronaut stuff. This guy, he came from Jamaica, came from nowhere, basically, self-made man. He'll talk about what he did, but he's a huge entrepreneur now. He's been on the cover of Ebony, he's been on Oprah, he's been on the news all over the place. Somehow I, somehow I missed him, somehow I didn't know who he is. And if you don't know who he is, you should. And I'm, gl- I'm, so, I'm so glad to, uh, to kind of spread the word for what he's doing because he's he is like an advocate for kids. He's helping so many kids. He's bringing them in. He's turning kids into fucking pilots. <laughs> They've already broken world records. Kids. I mean, like, I think they were as young as like 15 or younger, maybe even 12. I mean, it's it's really crazy. He's changing all kinds of lives and he's doing so many different things. 
he's an amazing guy. He really is like the Elon Musk that you don't know yet. So anyway, this has been a way too long-winded uh, intro here. It's way longer than I usually do, but this is Robin Petgrave. I hope you guys enjoy. Brian Finn is disaster. Yeah, all right. So we're on right now. So simple as that. So we uh, we already you already said we might have to pause here because you got a bunch of crazy shit going on, like helicopters coming Oof. in and stuff, right? Yeah, I'm buying airplanes and um, things are going crazy. It's uh, it's it's a really good good problem to have, you know. Um, uh, it's so funny. Someone was like, "Hey, man, you work a lot." I'm like, "Nah, I get to come to this place and watch all this cool stuff happen." Call it work every right? day. Yeah. Okay, so we met last time I saw you. Like I said, I was wearing like a weird cape thing. We were doing that video, the music video. Have you seen that, by the way? Yeah, it turned out pretty cool. I thought it came out pretty really badass. good. Yeah, yeah, by Columbia Tattoo, and uh, and that's when I first met you. Mm-hmm. And that's where I realized, holy shit, man! People need more. People need to know about you. Like you were you you are. You are the most interesting man in the world. Like, you're the dude. <laughs> Not in the commercial, but the real dude. It's like I'm sitting in this office, and there's like a bunch of like autographs. There's like astronauts and yeah, athletes. Tuskegee Airmen, I think, autographs. Yeah, everything. That's Mae Jameson, the first black female astronaut in history. Um, she's been down here. We partner with her. You partner with her? Yeah. Um, we do some... Where We've got kids that we're training to be astronauts. Um, you got the General Lee there from John Schneider. Bo Duke, um, <laughs> he's on our board of directors. Really? Yeah, probably the coolest. I would have never guessed he would be on there. It's kind of interesting. What the yeah. hell? Now the coolest thing over there though is that white thing you see it there. It says Michael Jackson. Yeah, the Ultimate Collection. Yeah, he gave me that before it was actually released, and look what he writes on it. What he says, you see what it says? Robin, you're a real visionary. Yeah. And what's the rest say? All the best, All the love, best. Michael Jackson. What the fuck? I know. I'm like. I'm a real visionary. You're Michael Jackson, dude. Okay, so there's a perfect example. I don't even know where to begin with you. You got <laughs> Michael Jackson, the astronauts, yeah, Dukes of Hazard. All right, so we got to back. All right, so can I? Uh, you're doing so many crazy, amazing things here. This is the seriously like I've never been more impressed by a single person in my life. I think. Uh, so can you maybe um, talk just a little bit, a little bit of an overview about what you're doing here? Sure. What, do um, yeah, actually, if you're gonna. If you like geeking out, I'm going to yeah. make you geek out. Yeah, which is real easy to do around here. So um, this guy was by here um, a week ago Yeah, um, telling me that this is the coolest place that he's ever gone, uh, him and his wife, and this is the coolest thing that they've ever seen. Yeah. Right? He's showing me a picture on his phone here. No fucking way. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me, though, in a way. Dr. Dre said this is the coolest place he's ever together. been to. He was here for like two hours. They were doing a movie called Compton's Finest and they were profiling some of the really successful people that um, emerged from the city of Compton. They they interviewed and profiled the mayor of Compton, the youngest yeah. black female mayor of a metropolitan city. Um, she's the current mayor? Yeah, Asia Brown. Mm-hmm. Um, they profiled Richard Sherman. Oh my know? God, I'm a huge Seahawks fan. Yeah. So, and then they <laughs> they profiled Venus and Serena Williams. Which um, was They were all down here? Or they travel no, around no. to wherever they lit, like was Sherman? Yeah, they and went to where okay. they were okay. and interviewed them. Um, they interviewed and, and profiled Kendrick Lamar. Um, he went to school like less than a mile from here. And yeah. You're not from here though, are you? No. Are you from the East Coast or something? Uh, no, you're from where are you from? I'm originally from Jamaica. Okay. I grew up on the East Coast in right. Boston. Okay. Uh went to college at Yukon. And after Yukon went to New York for about eh, eight months or so. And then came right out here to LA. Okay. And been out here since um but uh, even though you're not technically from here, did, did uh, Dr. Dre want to include you on this thing? Is that? Uh, yeah, that's that's why he came down. Yeah. Um, you know we, um, th- so they profiled uh, uh, Ice Cube, um, Kendrick uh-huh. Lamar. Um, I think they did YG, and um, they did uh, Dr. Dre, um, because Dr. Dre is doing big things. So yeah, they felt the that. Uh, <laughs> An essential part of this this uh, show is this place, Tomorrow's Aeronautical Museum, because this place had made um, young kids who, you know, don't weren't born with physical abilities like Richard Sherman or the Serena right. uh, sisters, weren't born with um, entertaining skills like Dr. Dre and Kendrick Lamar and all that. But I've been able to get them worldwide attention because I've had 
eight kids set 15 aviation world records. And so every news market in the country, if not the world, has been here at one point over the last 17 years to profile some of these ordinary kids that I got to do extraordinary things. That so, is so fucking amazing. This place is called Tomorrow's Aeronautical Museum. We're a living classroom where diversity in aviation history comes to life. Mm-hmm. And we teach kids um, about the history of aviation from a um, a more inclusive vantage point. Yeah. You know, most people think aviation started with two white guys that invented an airplane and somewhere in the middle this white guy broke the sound barrier, you know, and then somewhere um, after that we have this whole industry where you got big jumbo jets landing at airports and then beyond that, then we had this white guy land on the moon and kind of that's it, right? So just a few major milestones that we're all taught that are yeah, not much in between is taught. And then we say, well, actually, no, there was a whole lot more that got this airline and aerospace industry to where it is, you know. Um, uh, Bessie Coleman, she was the first licensed female African-American pilot. She went to France to get her license. And she was instrumental in getting people to accept this new form of transportation because she used to go all around the country and do these air shows. They were called barnstormers. Uh, they basically fly around and they'd see some farm with a big-ass barn and a yeah. open patch and they'd land and get the town folks to come over and then they'd do these amazing things. They'd do loop-de-loops and um, barrel rolls and, you know, have people walking on the wings while they're flying and that made your average guy that just got over the shock of learning how his horseless carriage can work (laughs) um think well if people can stand on the outside of that wing while it's going upside down and everything then maybe i could get on a flight to like cleveland right right and um that led to where we're at right now um and so the tuskegee airmen you know they they wanted to serve this country in world war ii um, and they wanted to serve it by being able to fly an airplane, but they're all told there were studies done by the government that said that African Americans did not have the hand eye coordination to be able to fly an airplane. Now, I don't know if they've ever seen Kobe or, um, <laughs> you know, or Michael Jordan or, or somebody like that, but not have the hand eye coordination. I don't that's what know. They said. That's crazy. Yeah. I met one of those guys once. Yeah. Yeah. It was some event. It was at the House of Blues, I think. Well, a week from uh, when Dr. Dre came earlier in the morning, Levi Thornhill came over to visit us again. Levi is 95 years old. Um, when he was a young 89, he was in the back seat of an airplane being piloted by one of our 15-year-old African-American girls. That is amazing. And she flew the airplane all the way across the country to Newport News, Virginia, and back. And Levi was on board that entire flight at 89 years old. And it wasn't because he just wanted to go for a ride. He'd spent a whole career in aviation, and he felt that his experience made him perfectly equipped to help this girl to accomplish her mission. And, you know, it was really cool. Everywhere, to say the least, man. That's, yeah. that's, that's pretty fucking amazing. Everywhere they stopped, um, they were met by Tuskegee Airmen that autographed their airplanes and, you know, reunited with their old buddies. And it was like, it was a really cool goodwill trip that made the whole world step their game up. Because when they saw this little black girl who's 15 years old piloting an airplane across the country and back, they just said, well, if she can do that, then I can insert name here yeah i can you know i can be uh i can get that job i can go for that interview i can lose those extra pounds i can be a better parent i can be a better brother better sister i can um go for that degree i everybody just started saying well if this little girl did that then and so the whole performance of everybody on the planet got moved up a notch yeah yeah and um so Levi was just here last last Saturday just to come and check out all the changes. And people wonder why I'm doing some of the things I do. Like, for example, um, we've redone the whole hangar. We painted the roof. We've put in central air and heat. Um, we have a bunch of displays that are in. We have an air combat center where you can come in and get on a... Um, flight simulator, um, like an F-16. You have a bunch of simulators. Yeah, that's the area I'm talking about. 
Uh, you can get on there and it has guns and missiles and you can dogfight with your homie in their jet and you can shoot them down and they it, can shoot you down. So you have kids in there flying, essentially oh, yeah. flying F-16s without the Gs. Exactly. Um, and uh, we have that. We have um, a Tuskegee uh, Legacy Center where we have, we've recreated the bombing run to Berlin where the Tuskegee Airmen were requested to accompany the bombers because back in um, World War II, you know, everybody that wants to be a fighter pilot, they get out there and um, the Germans were real slick. They would send one of their fighters to attack the bombers and then all of the, the white guys would go chasing them because they want to shoot them down so they could be an ace and they could be famous oh, and a war hero. It was like a decoy? Yeah. And so they chased them and then the rest of the wolf pack would wait. And when all the fighter escorts chased that one guy, then they would come down and just decimate the bombers. Yeah. And the Tuskegee Airmen, uh, they were commanded by Benjamin O. Davis, who was a general that, you know, went through West Point, got the silent treatment. Nobody spoke to him the entire time he was there. And, um, you know, he was just very disciplined and he made the Tuskegee Airmen very disciplined and he taught them, yeah, you, your job is to escort the bombers and that's what you do. You don't try and be an ace. You don't chase down one guy. You stay and you protect the bombers. And so because of that, the Tuskegee Airmen amassed a record that has never been uh, matched. Uh, They never lost a bomber to enemy fighters. That's amazing. Yeah, it's insane. That's amazing when you consider the numbers that mm-hmm. were lost before that. So were they? I mean, a lot of people don't know about them. But no. were they? Were they? Were they? Ever, were they decorated as a unit? Or yeah, um, yeah, they were. They got the congressional, I think the congressional medal, yeah. or the medal of honor. I forget. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really. Well, I have one here as the whole <laughs> unit, as the collective unit. Yeah, not just as individuals. Because they just no unit. In the entire United States military has ever matched what they've done. They were just absolutely amazing. And, um, you know, so when they wanted to join the war effort and they wanted to be pilots, um, they're all being told that they couldn't do it, um, that they couldn't fly. So a lot of these guys went to the historical black um, colleges, the HBCs, Mm -hmm. and a lot of them were like engineers. They were some of them were doctors. These were well-educated guys before the war. And some of these guys would go out and buy an airplane and teach themselves to fly it. So when they showed up, when they showed up (laughs) at Tuskegee to be part of the Tuskegee experiment and they were being told that they couldn't fly an airplane, they'd say, actually I can. And they'd get in an airplane and fly it. So they were super dynamic. Oh yeah. They weren't just like your average Joe. Uh -uh. And so the military was perplexed because they had all these, um, black guys showing up that many of them already knew how to fly. And they had Negro instructors because the white instructors wouldn't teach them how to fly. So they hired some black guys who knew how to fly. There were civilians that were, um, hired to train, um, the mil the military guys how to fly. And, um, you know, after they learned how to fly and everything, then they ran into the issue of, you know, they wouldn't, nobody wanted them. They said, hey, we got these black guys that can fly. We want to send a squadron over here. And all the, the, the army was segregated at the time and yeah. nobody wanted them. And, and so they trained and trained and trained and trained. Then when, you know, we started getting decimated and losing soldiers left and right, and we actually needed, you know, to throw Pilots. everything at them, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Then they finally got assigned and when they turned these guys loose these are guys who were well educated had you know the the experiment was set up to fail they wanted them to just get washed out so they tested them more than they needed to the physical training was way more than it needed to everything was harder for them right because they wanted them to fail and they trained them and trained them and trained them and couldn't let them loose because nobody wanted them so they trained them and trained them and trained them so they were really sharpening their blades man and they turned them loose on some guys you know turned them against the germans who some of their pilots had been in the service for like three months they give them a crash course on how to fly, and then they turn them loose into the war effort. And they come up against these Tuskegee Airmen who had been training and training and training. Man, the they Tuskegee Airmen destroyed them. <laughs> they just, you know, they, they were no joke. They they performed flawlessly. And um, uh, so as a result, on the big bombing run to Berlin, the C-17 pilots, they at first didn't know that the guys with the red tail airplanes were black. But they did know that 
when the red tails followed you to a battle, You're you made it home that night. You know? Oh, the bombers. I yeah, was the about bombers. The yeah. Like you okay. made it home that night. Oh, okay. The Germans had a whole dossier on these red tail because they knew about the Tuskegee Airmen because these guys were hot. They were yeah. shooting down all their pilots, and the Germans want to know what's going on. Yeah. And then when they found out they were black, they're like, they really want to know what's going sure, on. Sure, sure. So. As a result, the Tuskegee Airmen were just absolutely amazing. And the museum tells the story of the Tuskegee Airmen, the Bessie Coleman's, the Willa Browns. Mm-hmm. Um, it tells the whole story of all the, the people of color that helped to make aviation and aerospace what it is today. You know, the Dr. Mae Jameson, um, the Mr. McNair, all these people that, that some of them gave their lives, a lot of them gave their their courage, their bravery and all that stuff. But because of the sacrifices that all these people went through, I get to come to a place like this and play all day and tell people this work. Not only that, but like with the kids, like, have you, have you seen like for, you said all these kids like set all these records and there's just actually literally kids flying planes and doing these crazy things. Mm -hmm. Have you seen some kids come in that, you know, weren't in such good shape as far as how they felt about themselves and, uh, where they were going in their lives and, and, and seeing what you're doing here, give them a oh, little 180. Absolutely. We've been yeah. a real big um, uh, attraction for um, like child services. Uh, kids that are in foster care, um, this is a favorite place to bring them because we get a wow. lot of kids that have low self-esteem, um, lots of issues like that, sure. uh, abandonment issues. They come here and they instantly get themselves a family. Because the kids here take them all in like they're their brothers and sisters. And we give them positions of um, responsibility. Um, they do a lot of peer-to-peer bonding, problem-solving, um, learning. And so because of that, the kids, they it changes their whole outlook. Uh, one kid in particular came here. He was one of those kids that was bullied at school. Yeah. Um, goofy little kid. Um, low self-esteem. And we started working with him, and um, he started coming here when he was 12. And at 14, he flew one of our helicopters from here up to Canada. And um, <laughs> I laugh because it gets unbelievable. Yeah, I was with him. I, I did the radios and listened to the music and stuff, and he did everything else. And once we got to Canada, he soloed, which is when you fly an airplane by yourself. Yeah. He soloed in an airplane. At 14. Then, at 14. And an hour later, he soloed a helicopter. And he wasn't the youngest African-American to do this. He was the youngest person on the planet to ever do this. Because the first time you fly an aircraft by yourself, you stick to one type. It's very unusual to fly two different types. that versatility in that? Well, the emergency procedures are almost the opposite. And so if you get confused and have negative transfer of learning... You could be reacting to one in an emergency while thinking you're in the other, and it could be very bad. Yeah. So nobody does it. But this kid did it at 14, and then he flew the helicopter back here, and he set four world records during that trip. (laughs) Um, Was on the CNN. It's amazing. Um, yeah, when he turned 16, he set another world record because he sold a different type of helicopter in the U.S., and six different types of airplanes. He was ready to do eight, but the weather got bad, so he had to stop. Um, so he came in kind of looking down at the ground, and now he's like l- quite literally an elite pilot. Uh, actually, a little <laughs> bit more than an elite pilot. Yeah. He, at 23, oh, record setting. he got his, uh, he started actually working for an airline at um, 19. At 23, he became a captain. That's the youngest you're allowed to be a captain is at 23. Wow. He became a captain. Uh, flying for GoJets, which operates um, uh, regional jets for United Airlines. Uh, this is a 23. Um, at 24, he quit um, United and got a job with UPS. Hmm. Now he's flying 757s and MD-11s for UPS, and he's 24 or 25. Wow. So this little kid that you know was looking at the ground, yeah. um, worried about who was gonna get him next, mm-hmm. now flies jets that weigh hundreds of thousands of pounds and is solely responsible for them. Um, and this kid's like he he just got to the age where he can finally rent a car, and he's been. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> how did you, dude? How did you, how did you get in this direction? Like, what's what's your deal? Like, how how did you come to do this? I mean, uh, so you started out. I'm su- I don't know much about you. So you started out uh, being a pilot before or after college. I'm assuming something like that. Maybe you're in the military. Well, I don't know. But how did you how did you wind up doing what you're doing here, especially with all with the kids and all that? Well, when I when I came. When I came to the U.S., I was always interested in flying. Were you a um, kid when you came here? Yeah, yeah, I was 10. Okay. And I used to save my lunch money and take the buses in Boston to see where they went. And one day I wound up at Logan Airport, and I'm watching all these big jets take off and land and was just fascinated by it, right? I thought it was the coolest thing ever. Well, then everybody told me if I wanted to do that for a living, I had to join the military. And I have a problem myself with the military because I question authority. Sure. Um I'm the guy that been have been told over and over again I can't do certain things. It's impossible to build a museum that's a <laughs> place where kids can... It's nothing better than someone telling you that. Though. Oh, yeah. I've been told that many times, but I question that, and I'm like, you got to prove it to me in order for it to be real. Um, and so that's why I've been able to accomplish the things that I've done. But I had a feeling in the military that... Attitude wouldn't work very well mm-hmm. because when they're giving you an order to go do something, you can't tell them, well, no, let's yeah. change. You got to do it. Right. And I figured my personality and that kind of structure wouldn't work very well together. So I didn't, and I gave up on it. Then after I moved out here to California, I went on a sightseeing flight with a pilot that was my age. I was like, you can had you join the military when you're really, really young? And he said, no, I just paid and took lessons. And I was like, you can do that? And he said, yes. I said, well, hell, if you can do it, I can do it. And I had a $2,000 credit line on my credit card at the time. Mm-hmm. And I found these flight schools. I went there and I said, okay, I'm going to be a helicopter pilot. And they said, okay, it's going to cost, you know, X. How much you got? I'm like, I got 2000 bucks." And they're like, how are you going to pay for it? This is impossible. And I said, I'll tell you after I've done it. I love and they're like, that, really? I'm like, I, I said, you know, that. look at all the things in my life I've done just because. I graduated high school because everybody else is graduating high school. I went to college because everybody else is going to college. And I've done all these things just because. I'm like, now I found something I want to do. I have no idea how I'm going to pay for it. I just know I'm going to do it. And it took me about a year to um, get all the money to pay for all the lessons. And I started being a flight instructor and I was working in Torrance. Well, I have an issue with my old boss because um, every time aircraft fly... Um, every hundred hours that they fly, you have to do an inspection on them. Basically, mm-hmm. I take them apart, check everything, make sure everything is within tolerance and um, in good condition. Then you put it back together and you can fly it for another hundred hour. Well, this one helicopter needed that inspection and um, the guy didn't do it and wanted me to fly it anyways. And I, was oh. not, I wasn't going to do it because I'd lose my license, right? Yeah. Plus, it's just, it's wrong. Not a good idea. Yeah. So he decided he was going to punish me for not breaking the law. So I was like, really? So I leased a helicopter and started a helicopter company right next door to him just to <laughs> piss him off. And I thought, you know, it would go for a little while, then it would go out of business, and I would go to Oregon and fly big helicopters. Well, it kept growing and kept growing and kept growing to the point of I had $300 when I started it because I had just previously paid off all the the money that I'd borrowed to get my license. Mm-hmm. I paid off all that stuff, and so I had 300 bucks left on the credit card i started this company with that and then i don't know four or five years later the company was doing three and a half million a year what do you think it was that made it that successful compared to his what do you think you were doing differently oh it's simple um it was during a recession and i just thought well um you're not going to become successful or it's a bad business model to become successful because you get rid of all the competition you know, they don't exist and people don't have a choice but to come to use you. I just said, nah, we're going to be con- become successful because I'm going to be better than them. I'm going to provide better service. I'm going to do it cheaper and I'm going to go for the volume. And so while the economy was really bad over here, I just marketed it to Europe. And so I had people coming from Europe um, to pay to take lessons over here Interesting. because our, our money was worth crap. Right. And theirs was worth a lot. So I was like, well, come over here. And so I brought in a lot of people from Europe and we trained them and, and you know, it was great. And I, it was just providing a service and um, people like that because most, a lot of pilots, um, 
they're not elitist, but you know, when you can do something that everybody else wants to do, you get kind of an attitude. And I never cop that attitude. Right. I just like, you know, for me, I'm like, I'm always, I'm never flying as good as I can. I'm never going to fly the coolest helicopter. I'm always, it's always something out there that I, I'm always going to have to get better at. Right. Humility. And, I mean, yeah. And even my skill level, um, you know, I've been flying for 28 years. I have over 22,000 hours flying. That's a lot. Yeah. And I know that I'm still not as good of a pilot as I could be. So I constantly am trying to get better and find more efficient ways to do it and get my skill level up constantly. And that keeps it fresh and young and, and makes me want to do it and keeps me motivated. And I never get a chance to get overconfident because I'm never Resting that good. It. Yeah. And I'm assuming you have that same attitude about what you do here for the kids, for the museum, well, for everything. So so I'm I'm doing all this stuff and all these magazines and newspapers and all this stuff started doing stories about me, right? They even wrote a book called The New Color of Success where they talked about entrepreneurs, you know, under 40 years old, making millions of dollars and stuff like that. And teachers would see this stuff and read this stuff. I was in like Ebony Magazine, Essence, Black Enterprise, bunch of them, and asked me to come to their school for career day. Mm. Well, I remember the first school... Um, it was, I, th I think, the 96th Street School over in Watts. And they said, yeah, will you come for career day? Because, you know, we've got kids graduating that have never had a career day here. Uh, and I was like, what time? And they're <laughs> 8 in the morning. I'm like, 8 in the morning? Shit. That's early. <laughs> I'm like, I hate getting up early. So I was like, well, where's your school? Oh, it's a bad part of town. It's dangerous. So I'm like, whatever. Where is it? Yeah. They said over at 96th Street School over in Watts. I'm like, ah, oh, damn it. You know how much traffic I'm going to have to go through? <laughs> so I was like, well, how big is your playground? They go, our playground's oh, no pretty way. big. I'm like, okay, I'll be there. So, you know, eight in the morning. You didn't even tell them what you are going to do? Oh, I did. Okay. Well, sort of. I get where you're going. I told the people that needed to know what I was okay, doing. Okay. The rest of them was a big surprise. Right. So most of the school, except for like the principal and the vice principal, most of the school see the gates open up in the morning. Then my five stretch limousines would pull in. <clears throat> then 20 exotic random cars would pull in. And all these guys would get out of it in flight suits and everybody's looking sharp. And then, you know, they had all the, the students out on the playground watching all this stuff. And the students are like, is P. Diddy coming? What's going on, right? <laughs> and then they see a ghetto bird, what they think is a police helicopter, go flying by. Right. Only this time it turns around and it starts getting closer and louder and bigger and closer. And then... It lands in the playground. And then I get out of the helicopter. I go walk into the stage. And the kids are like trying to look past me like, when's the pilot going to get out? And they get on the stage. I'm like, hey, how you guys doing? Oh, really? Yeah. And the kid's like, one kid raises his hand. I go, hi. Yeah. The kid's like, when's the pilot getting out? And I was like, um, I am the pilot. And the kid's looking at me like they just saw a fucking unicorn. They're like, you the pilot? I was like, well, yeah, and not only am I the pilot, but I own that helicopter. And the kid's like, what? They did not expect my black ass to yeah. be telling them that yeah. stuff. And I'm like, not only do I own that helicopter, I own all those limos and those cars and all those people you see there work for me. And if you come to my airport, I have 15 other helicopters. I got 12 airplanes. And the kids are just like, what? I said, but I'm not telling you this because I want you to think I'm cool. Right. I'm telling you this because I didn't know I could do any of this stuff till I got out of college. So if you start applying yourself now, you're going to find what it is you love to do. And you can be in a position so that when these opportunities arise, you can get on it. And you will be more successful than I ever could be. And you will own more stuff than I ever could own because you're learning about this now while you're in elementary school. So if you start applying yourself and start doing the things that they're telling you to do now that you think are annoying, like homework, right? Well, what are you going to do if you meet a guy like me that has a pocket full of money and wants to take your idea and turn it into millions of dollars for the both of us? Well, I don't have time to sit there while you figure out this idea you have about possibly making T-shirts that kids could sell. That you know, I'm, I'm like, work it out. I'll meet you in the morning. And then you tell me this idea, and then I'll fund it. I'll give you $500,000. We'll buy a bunch of T-shirts. We'll sell them. We'll sell them for a million dollars. We'll split the difference. So I'll get $250,000, and you'll get $250,000. Isn't that nice? And the kid's like, yeah. I'm like, well, 
doesn't that kind of sound like that homework stuff that they keep making you do? <laughs> the kid's like, oh, I'm like, yeah. And that whole come into class on time, come into school. What happens if this meeting where you're going to tell me this great idea that's going to make us both a bunch of money, you don't show up or you show up super late? Am I going to wait around for you or am I going to go and do things that makes me more money? So that's uh, everything they're telling you in school right now is practice for the future. And the sooner you get good at that, the sooner you'll be really successful when you're done. And so I explained it to kids in a way that they understood. And then the whole um, uh, blowback, that left. Once the kids understood that all the stuff that they're doing in school that they thought were annoying is actually going to help them in the future, they just gobbled it up. Yeah. And so the testing scores would go through the roof. They had perfect attendance for the rest of the school year. No shit, that happened. Oh, yeah, the black on brown fighting stopped, all that thing. And so um, other schools had asked me to come for career day, and I, I kept doing this all over L.A. And then I was on the Oprah Winfrey show for being an entrepreneur, and um, she <laughs> she kept asking me, like, well, okay, she didn't ask me. Someone, when we got to Chicago, I got off the plane and I was standing there next to this dude. Didn't know he was the guy that owns Jamba Juice, right? Okay. But um, a limo pulls up that's supposed to get us. I thought they were sending some sedan. So the limo pulls up and I'm like, I'm like a total dick, right? So the limo pulls up. I'm like, hey, I got five of those. Only mine are bigger. And the guy's looking at me. He's like, what do you do? As I, I said, well, and I thought about it. Because that was like the first time someone asked me what I do because he didn't know anything about me. And I looked at him. I was like, actually, I screw around all day and people pay me for it. <laughs> He's like, what? I said, nah. I, if you came to L.A. and you want to have the time of your life and you got up in the morning, you're staying by the beach, and you look up in the mountains and you see snow and you think, oh, man, that would be great to go skiing now. But I hear there's like good dirt bike riding or horseback riding down in the desert and oh man look at this ocean to do a little surfing and i say well you would call me up i would fly up to the mountains you'd pay me to go skiing with you i'd fly you down to the desert you'd pay me to go dirt bike riding with you i'd fly out to the ocean and you'd pay me to sit on the beach and watch you surf i'm a black guy we ain't going in that water that shit's cold <laughs> so, I'm like, so you can surf i'll watch you you pay me to watch you and you would have the time of your life and the whole time you're having the most experience, the most amazing experience of your life, you'd be paying me to do it with you. So I screw around all day and get paid. And Oprah's like, oh, you guys got to be like Robin because he doesn't work for a living. He finds his hobby and he gets paid to do it. And so, so anyways, when I'd go to these schools and do these visits, I'd bring celebrities with me. Mm-hmm. And I met Tuskegee Airmen at an air show. And once they told me about what they went through, then I felt compelled that they had to go with me because the kids needed to know what their sacrifice was that made it possible for me to do what I do. And they kept telling me that they wanted to leave a legacy. They didn't want to be forgotten. Um, So, you know, they wanted to get kids in the aviation because it's it's a good alternative for you know, the bad stuff kids get into. Sure. So I said, all right, then Can I'm going to... Can you gonna... say something? Go ahead, man. It's okay. I'm nah, sorry. They're okay. trying to tell okay. me there's a flight waiting for okay. me and there's food it... waiting for me. Okay, okay. Um, am I holding you up from that? Well, yeah, but... <laughs> all right. I finished the sentence. All right, yeah. <laughs> so um, I really respected what they had gone through and they wanted to leave a legacy. So I said, well, if Oprah thinks I'm such an entrepreneur, then... I'm going to build a system because my company is designed to make money. It's not designed to help kids to become successful. I'm going to build a system where a kid can come to it with nothing. And I'll make them do homework, answer phones, wash airplanes. But by them coming in and putting in sweat equity, putting in some physical work, then I'll make them pilots or engineers or doctors or whatever. And so I founded Tomorrow's Aeronautical Museum, started a new helicopter company called Celebrity Helicopters to fund the museum until we can get some support. And that's what you see in front of you. Wow. And we have over 5,000 kids in this, in our after-school program. Um, we've, I mean, we've changed the lives of thousands and thousands of kids. Um, many of the kids are pilots. Many more of the kids are engineers, mechanics, 
Um, there's kids in the medical field. Um, the youngest black airline captain is from here. Um, we have one kid we're training to be an astronaut that sometime in the next two years uh, it should be going to space. The SpaceX uh, program? Yeah. yeah. And we've got um, uh, the, the youngest female Latina um, crew chief from American Airlines is one of our graduates. Um, and she was there for uh, less than a year, less than two years. She passed her probation and then they instantly put her into management because for the past 12 years, she's been coming down here and has more hands-on experience than a lot of those frumpy old dudes right. that think a woman should not be able to right. tell them what to do. And you instill discipline in these kids with this, we with this work ethic. That- we instill discipline. We instill self-worth. We instill um, a glass is half full and uh, the entrepreneurial thinking. Um, and we we put them in an atmosphere where they are not being told what they can't do. Mm-hmm. They're being asked, why haven't they done it yet? <laughs> and they're being encouraged that you can do anything possible and not just take my word for it, look. Look at me, look at these guys that are your mentors, these Tuskegee Airmen, look what they went through. If we can do it, you can do anything. And so these kids, they're just, and then we provide them the resources. You know, I, I built a, a mini SpaceX here because we have kids building liquid fuel rockets that's gonna go to space, so I give them the resources. We have 3D printers, milling machines. Um, uh, we have a rocket lab that's just insane. We have mission control with $500,000 worth of Katia 5 and SolidWorks software on it. Oh, here comes our astronaut cadet who has been here for 15 <laughs> okay, days. Man. 15 days? It feels like it feels like that. Uh, did it work? Yeah, it worked. How much do I have to pay him? Nothing, we're done. So now, this is Lee Westrup. Hey, how are you, man? Lee Damn. is now a scuba diving instructor. Because if you're going to be an astronaut, you have to learn to operate in uh, unusual conditions uh, yeah, and environments. That makes sense. So um, we're the other astronaut cadets are going to be trained up to be um, dive masters. But Lee, since he's furthest along in the program, he's now a scuba diving instructor. Very cool. And we have a 50-passenger boat that's going to be our dive boat. We're going to build an underwater um, uh, lab uh, just in the harbor. That's so... Dude... <sighs> Yeah, it's <laughs> blowing my mind. You it's, actually are oh, kind we, of a, an Elon Musk sort of a guy. We're, we're You're very kinda, comparable to him, I think, we, in a lot of ways. We build Elon Musk's future workforce. So um, yesterday, Sunday, Chris Lynch came by. I did not know his wife is a biologist. Chris Lynch um, is getting my recommendation letter because they have a grant. that UCLA has pioneered technology where they can now 3D print an organ. Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> and they have a grant that they're going to work with the museum to get the kids to understand that technology. They can now 3D print an organ. They can 2D print one. They've been able to do that with skin cells, but now they have a way to layer them so they can actually 3D print an organ. So they were just by here. So when I was telling her about I kept calling it hydroponics, and she's like, aquaponics. I was like, oh, yeah, okay, fine, Miss Smart Girl. <laughs> so, but that's what we're going to build is aquaponics lab offshore where we're going to grow the ultimate organic food. We're going to grow fish and food that has never seen real direct sunlight or real air. It's going to be all... Where can where can people keep track of everything that you do? Is there like one uh, single website that every, yeah, that's un- everything is under that? museum.org, which is running slowly behind so, because things develop here at a, at a lightning pace. Yeah. We build stuff and make stuff and add stuff super fast. And our web guys are, um, what, <laughs> trying looks, their ass off to stay it up. looks like it's uh, like a, a Dell computer from 1993 in the website or something. No, no, <laughs> no. The stuff on the site is amazing. You look at it and go, wow. But, every, but all, all the stuff, stuff is that, on the site? The TA? No, because, okay. The stuff that you see on the site. Is too much stuff? Yeah. We keep yeah. adding more shit. <laughs> so all this stuff that you talk, because it covers a lot of different things, is going to be on, 
accessible on this one no, site though eventually there's a lot of stuff on the site that i even talk about now because it's old shit but when you read it oh, okay. that'll be the first time you see it so okay. you'll think oh this is the coolest right, right. shit and you're already but since that. then yeah we got way more cooler <laughs> stuff than, than so that. what's the site again I'll, i'm gonna it's put it on this blog www.ta like tomorrow's yeah. aeronautical tamuseum.org okay cool yeah so I'm going to take a little break. Yeah. I'm going to take these guys for a little half-hour flight. And also, we have our food truck outside. Oh, you didn't even know about a food truck? No, right? I didn't know about that. So but. one of the kids in this program, um, when he was getting oh, out of high no, school. Oh, no, the airplane thing. That, yeah. yeah. You told me about that when I was here last time. Yeah, yeah. well, it's done let's, now. Let's, well, let's hear about it. So is this isn't going to travel around, or is it going to be here? No, nah, it can travel around. Yeah. They're already they're already starting to book dates for me to go to things with this. But one of the kids... Um, we found out that he liked to cook, so we put him through the Cordon Bleu, and um, uh, he became a chef and did an internship, and then when he came back, he had a hard time finding a job, yeah. so I told him I was going to build him a restaurant. <laughs> so building a restaurant is really difficult, really expensive, and you have to have the space to do it, and we didn't have any of those things, so I bought an old cargo airplane from World War II that actually flew combat, chopped it, and turned it into a food truck. And now it's the very unique one Such of a, a kind. Such a cool idea, too. It's a gourmet, state-of-the-art food truck. The inside of it is like an immaculate kitchen. And um, now we hire young chefs that are, some of them are still in culinary school. And we have them work alongside um, seasoned gourmet chefs who get their skill level up. And so we're turning out a whole bunch of gourmet chefs. Dude, you are doing the, I mean, you're, to me, this is living the dream more than anything else that anybody has ever done. You, you've, I shit you not, man. You've, you really are changing the world. You really are and, and have. And, uh, and you can, you can, you know, someday, hopefully more than 100 years down the road, you could die a happy man because you've done it, man. You've done it. Well, and I'm, you know, I, I'm really, it makes me, it doesn't just inspire me, but I mean, I'm so happy. I hope other, to, to, to share what you do with everybody. But man, dude. I, I'm blown away. I think I, I mean, you make was, it so happy to know that someone's out there doing stuff well, like you do. Oprah kept saying that I was an entrepreneur. So I thought, well, wouldn't the coolest entrepreneur be a person whose job is to make young people entrepreneurs? And so that's what I've done. Lee came here when he was 14, interested in aviation. He has a helicopter license, an aerospace engineering degree from Purdue. Um, he's just finished. Now he could have a whole profession just being a scuba diving instructor, right? Or even just a scuba diver. And then um, uh, he's going to be um, going on the zero-G plane to do experiments that can only be done in space. We're going to do it Not here. Not too shabby, dude. Yeah. And then um, <laughs> hopefully in the next two years, he'll be going to space. Um, and that's kind of what we do. So my job is to make, so he's an entrepreneur. He bought a business that I'm going to try and buy from him. (laughs) 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 But that's what I do. This place turns out entrepreneurs. And because these kids are in this environment and they learn this mindset and they have these resources, I have no doubt out of this place will come a new form of transportation or a kid will revolutionize the way that we get from point A to point B because they're, we've got high school kids building liquid fuel rockets. Um, they're now going to be working along with UCLA professors shoulder to shoulder on this new technology that literally will change the way that we move forward as humans. You could 3D print an organ using your own tissue. So, I mean, they culture it, so there's no chance of rejection. So, literally, in the future, you have a heart condition, right? You're going to die because you can't get a donor. They can, just 3D, make print, you, yeah, they can 3D print you a heart that your body will not reject because it's made of stuff from your, your body. Genetics. And then you put it back in and you live longer. And that's if you have a bad heart or a liver or whatever. Right. You know, that's insane technology and we're on the cutting edge of it. This is stuff, this is not like science fiction, gonna, gonna, we're literally, yeah. I'm writing the recommendation letter, they'll get the grant, and sometime in the next year to two years, we'll start building this machine and this technology to 3D print organs. Hey man, can say? we, can, can I, we'll just call this a wrap so you can go do your thing. <laughs> no, but, but 
can I get back to you again some other time down oh, the road yeah. and we can maybe catch up on, Dude, on some of this you're stuff you're gonna a need later. to come by here probably like once every two weeks <laughs> yeah I know always I always new shit going on you have like a Twitter handle or anything people can follow you on um, personally I you... usually stuff most of the new stuff on our Instagram okay. which also puts it on our Facebook and the Instagram is at Robin R-O-B-I-N period the word at A-T period mm-hmm. Tam for tomorrow's aeronautical museum and my Instagram handle is at Robin I mean my uh, Facebook is at Robin Petgrave but um, if you go to Instagram that's the best place to see some of the cool stuff we do because uh, like I said literally things are changing daily and there's new stuff being added all the time and when you see what we have planned for the future and just over the next few months it'll absolutely blow your mind we're about to start an electric airway with uh like what tesla did for <laughs> i remember you talking cars. about that when we were doing that music about electric i ordered four charging stations we're gonna put them in airports so you can take your electric airplane fly to another airport get something to eat while it charges and fly back and we're paving the way for the United States to have the same kind of infrastructure that Tesla has made um, for electric cars, so I mean, this is all this is going to happen in the next month to two months. The stuff's being built; it's being shipped here, and then we're going to install it. Changing and it'll start. everything. That's yeah, nuts! It's nuts. Tomorrow's aeronautical museum is a game changer. Mic drop. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for thanks for being on. Here. I think that's a good place to end. That the mic drop, but I do want to catch up with you again at some point. Oh yeah, no. Plus, you gotta go fly, and I gotta go hit that food truck in a second. So. Yeah, they're gonna. That's what the girl kept coming in here because she's right. one of the one I want to eat. All right, so we'll get her in here. Hey right, man, dude, thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. So thank such you. an honor to have you on here, man. All right, we'll talk to you again later. Okay, bye. All right, you guys. That was Robin Petgrave. What a badass. Guy continuously blows me away. I just sit there. I sit there with my jaw dropped open, listening to what he does, and just looking around at all the shit that he's accomplished and what he's going to do. It's it, it's it really is pretty amazing. So you heard it, but the uh, email address again is tamuseum.org. So that's uh, that pretty much will sum it up for him. And if you go to triumphanddisasterblog.com uh, and you look at the uh, Robin Petgrave episode there, I'll have you know his links to like his uh, his Twitter and his Instagram and all that stuff and a couple other things we talked about. So thanks again, and uh, yeah, if you can go to uh, patreon.com forward slash triumph and disaster, I'll have the link on the uh, triumph and disaster blog on this episode, and I'll probably have it for here on out. Yeah, if you're a patron, I'm going to call you out like I did uh, the people earlier in this show, in the uh, episode, and um, you know, maybe I should think about editing, you know what I mean? Whenever I stutter and ba-dee, ba-dee, I, I never cut the shit out, but it's uh, this is probably the least slick fucking podcast out there on iTunes right now, but anyway... Um, yeah, where was I? Yeah, if you go to uh, Patreon, you become a patron, I'll call you out to thank you for sure. And if you do the uh, $10 one, $10 patronage, I'm going to send you the t-shirt, but you got to make sure to send me the address if you want one. And uh, if you do that, send a picture of you wearing it, I'm definitely going to repost it. So uh, do that too. I'd like to get some more shows out, so I just need some more patrons, but I'm going to keep doing it regardless. Hope you guys enjoyed, and I'll see you next time.